Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 362 with Marianne Karench. Marianne is talking about offering responses and not just answers to questions to have a bit more control over steering how the conversation goes and navigating that all the more effectively. So you'll learn one, the difference between answering versus responding. Two, some key ways to use keywords for memorability. And three, body language tips for forming a connection. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F362. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd encourage you to check out some cool stuff. What a cool thing I'd point you to is the Gold Nugget email list, which gives you the summary insights from Marianne and the 360 guests who've gone before her. So you can get those answers to those teased items all the faster over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Marianne's story. Marianne Karench has written numerous books on human behavior and health, including eight with Gregory Hartley that feature insights into reading and using body language. She uses her expertise in coaching business executives, law enforcement personnel, and other professionals in detecting deceit, diffusing tense situations, and negotiating with both friendly and hostile sources. Big thanks to Marianne for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here's Marianne. Marianne, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure, Pete. Well, I'd like to get started by hearing a little bit about your history in the theater. Oh, my. Well, I was a shy child, and I thought, I can't go through life like this. (laughs) So I took a summer theater class when I was 13, and I loved it. And interestingly enough, I didn't know until years later when I started studying human behavior and body language that that was my introduction to learning body language. I learned how to pretend to be an extrovert. And I learned how to pretend to keep control of myself when I was really just sweating and falling apart. Uh, So that was an interesting introduction. And I ended up studying that in college and in graduate school and then managing a theater and then leaving it. <laughs> so there you go. Well, that's cool. Well, so tell me any, do any particular lessons you've learned in the theater really kind of play out in your current work? Oh, absolutely. What I realized much, much later was that studying theater, it broadened my abilities to learn about people. I was much more observant about how people behaved, what they said, uh, the meaning of things, the drama of a moment. And this applies all the time in business, of course. So I think I just got like tuned in to people a whole lot more. And no matter what I ended up doing after that, I was drawing on lessons that I learned from the theater. I also really like theater people. They tend to be really fun to hang out with. You know, that's, (laughs) that's been my experience as well. And uh, just a bit more expressive and <laughs> you might say out there, if you will, but I think I might be a little out there in terms of just expressing what's on my mind in a colorful way. Right, exactly. Um, and there's everything right about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, so tell us a little bit more about your book, Controlling the Conversation here. Well, that's all about solutions <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because people tend to just answer questions and just kind of segueing into one thing I know you wanted to, to talk about was, you know, what's wrong with 
just answering a question. Mm -hmm. What's wrong is that you surrender control in the conversation, at least temporarily, to the person who's asking the question. You know, then if you all you do is address the, the topic that the um, questioner has proposed, then all you all you're doing is ceding control. And instead, if you respond to the question, if you take that question and say, you know, maybe it's a what question and you say, I'm, you know, I really need to give more information than just what I need to give a why I need to give who I need to give a timeline by, by responding to the question, by weaving in those other things, you take control. That was the impetus behind this book. Um, My co-author, Jim Pyle has a daughter and his daughter, Megan wanted to do a commercial. She's a young horsewoman. Uh, and she had an opportunity to do a commercial that involved riding her horse, except that the people who were doing the interview weren't asking her to ride a horse. They were asking her questions. Mm-hmm. And she came home and she didn't get it. She did not get the job. And, and her dad said, well, what, well, tell me what you said. What he realized was that she had missed opportunities to express her expertise, to talk about about how long uh, and hard she had worked for that expertise, you know, things that would have made a difference. And so he called me and he said, oh my gosh, now that we've done a book about asking questions, we need to do a book about giving answers. So that was it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talk about seeding control. That's an interesting concept. And what times and places is it okay to cede control versus when do you very much want to be remaining in control? I like to remain in control. How about you, Pete? <laughs> well, I'm sure that's helpful. But I mean, I guess there are times where if you're always in control, then you could sort of, you know, rankle the feathers of your collaborators. I know. I know. It's it's not as if you're in control of every situation or every conversation, but it's a matter of not letting go of control when you really need to have it. So that's the point. There are a lot of times when we just want to sit back and listen and let somebody else do all the talking. That's fine. That's great. But but there are other times when it's really important for us to know that we are steering the conversation towards certain information, towards certain revelations, and making sure that whatever is most relevant in terms of us accomplishing a goal, that we get there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you draw a bit of a distinction here when it comes to the questions. You respond with, you can give either an answer or a response. And can you unpack a little bit? What's the difference here? Sure, sure. A response is multidimensional. Answering a question is just providing data. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Mm -hmm. But responding is kind of data plus. Um, The response is energized with information. It's energized with uh, direction and management. So you pack more power with a response. And it you're generally a whole lot more colorful in responding rather than merely answering a question. Now, there are exceptions, but we can get to those later. Well, so let's do some maybe examples or role play here to get that all the clearer here. So let's say I were to ask you, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? So there's a question. And so what would an answer sound like versus a response? Yes, Pete, your podcast is fascinating because you have an audience that I love connecting with. It's been uh, a long process for me to get to the point where 
I felt I knew enough to share with them. But now I'm there and I'm with you and this is fun. Okay, so that sounds like a response. We got some extra, some layers there. Yeah. Versus the answer would just be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, the straight answer is yes. It's a yes or no question. You know, mm-hmm. it's a yes. Okay. Right. And so then let's unpack. So what are some of the advantages of providing that extra detail? The extra detail gives some more about the other subject areas. Um, we call them areas of discovery. There are people, places, things, and time. And the more that you can weave in all four elements when you respond to a question, the more richness there is to, in the answer. There, You add more layers to the conversation. So instead of having a, a monodimensional just focus on data. You have a sense of person. You have a sense of place. You just have more of a, a richness of the information that you're exchanging. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then I'm curious about, so if you're dealing with a person who's asking questions and wants to move fast, 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 how do you sort of navigate those waters in terms of thinking about the trade-offs of you know extra detail versus time? Right. Well, that's the model with a lot of the drive time radio that I do. You just have to be aware of the model that they have to do that. Um, and res- responding in those situations meaning means adhering to the rules of that game, that exchange, not game, but, you know, the exchange of two people who are crimped, you know, in terms of time. So you just give as much as you can in a few, much, much fewer uh, words. Um, you know, you just have to honor the moment. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So then any other tips in terms of giving answers that are all the more compelling and helpful? Right. Well, pay attention to who's asking. You know, it was fun spending a a few minutes before the podcast getting to know you. I had a sense of your rhythm. And I think that helps a great deal. I try not to do any interviews or have any exchanges with somebody that I don't know anything about. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you lack the ability to have a real meaningful conversation. Understood. Okay, cool. So that's one tip is to get some of that extra background and context for who's the person and what's going on there. What else? Well, the other thing is make sure that you don't make up anything. <laughs> that's that's a really, really big deal. You never know in, um, in conversations like this, if somebody's going to throw something from left field, if I don't know something, I need to tell you that because your audience trusts you and therefore they trust me. So that's important. Don't make stuff up. Mm-hmm. Be square. And if you have limited information, say, I only know a little bit about this. I only know, you know, like a tiny, tiny bit about heart surgery. So please don't ask any more questions about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And you also recommend incorporating some keywords into your responses? Absolutely. In your head, you know, when you go into a situation and we'll just use job interview as an example, you know what people want. You want people to think of you, that you you want that interviewer to come away with maybe five concepts that that person would describe you as as capturing. Throw keywords in there. There are certain words that are really sticky words. Um, one of my favorites is rogue. I mean, if you call somebody somebody or something rogue, that's kind of a sticky word. You find the other person using it again and again um, just because they they heard you say it. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and it's interesting. 
in terms of it's kind of a unique word, but, you know, we all know what it means. And it's short, <laughs> but it paints a bit of a picture and has some energy or momentum behind it. Right. So if you go into a job interview with your personal story already in your head, and that personal story is full of sticky words, and you start answering questions and using those words, then somebody is likely at the end of that job interview to say, Pete, you're provocative. You have a a fast rhythm. You get me going. Things like that. And you walk away saying, yeah, okay, I did it. (laughs) Me and my sticky words, I did it. (laughs) Well, so I'd love it. Please just lay them on us in terms of many, many sticky words that come to mind. Right, exactly. Well, there are all kinds. It depends on, you know, your your situation and how you want to be perceived. But but that's that's one thing that that you can do to just get people to feed back to you what you really want them to know about you. Mm-hmm. Well, could you rattle off some extra sticky words here? That's the whole thing. Um, that there are certain heart there are certain words. Um, that have a sound, that have a, a picture associated with them that's so specific. You know, if I said magenta, <laughs> you know, now you might think of the character from Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is fine because she's sort of the, like the living embodiment of a color. That's, that's the kind of thing that you want to think of and you want to introduce into conversation. If you want somebody to remember you, you want somebody to remember characteristics about you. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of a toner cartridge first. <laughs> you know, I've got cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. <laughs> okay. And so that's there. Okay, cool. And so what are some more? Well, let's just go for anything that has to do with shapes and colors. They're, they're generally sticky words. Things that are more conceptual, like confidence. That's not really a sticky word. Empowerment? Nah, not so much. Um, grit. Mm-hmm. That's a sticky word. Words that have huge power. This, this is why reading somebody like Shakespeare is so valuable. He was my major playwright in graduate school. And I, the word choices are amazing. I say dagger. That's a sticky word. There are all kinds of things like that when you, when you think, okay, I could say something multisyllabically and you will totally forget it. Mm-hmm. Or I can say single shot. Oh, I get it. You know, sniper, (laughs) sticky Mm -hmm. word. They're just certain things that when you say them, people remember that word and you find. Now, check this out. Throw a few things like that into a conversation with someone and darn, if they won't come back a little while later and they will say rogue, sniper, they will just, they'll find a way to use that that weird word in conversation just because it's stuck in their head. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting about that is, it almost, well, I think it does, it just sort of gives you a little bit extra oomph in terms of credibility or authority. Like if it's in a meeting situation, you said this word first, and then, you know, there's eight people in the meeting, you said the word first, then two other people have utilized the word, and you as the originator of the word are kind of almost like the guy who had the idea. <laughs> you know, you're the guy who brought up that word. Right. And so it confers a bit of status or authority associated with being the first to provide that there. Sure. You have, at that point, a little bit of edge in terms of leadership of that conversation in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And I like that notion. It's interesting when you said confidence. 
I think that you might be able to come up with some synonyms that are better than confidence. Like you might say, swagger brings up a picture of someone swaggering. Right. It's like, you know, I'd like us to be able to have some swagger when we come to our customers with exactly all the features that they are most interested in. And that kind of implies some confidence that, yeah, you're going to go with us versus the alternatives because this is exactly what you want. Right. And that kind of sticks with you more so than confidence. And uh, that's fun. Yeah, right. Exactly. So if you're in a job interview and and somebody says to you, well, now, how would you describe yourself in terms of your presence? If you said, well, I have confidence. Oh, yawn. What if you said, I have spine. I have backbone. Yeah. Those are the kind of concepts that gives you an image. You have spine, Pete. Confidence. Eh, okay. Lots of people have confidence, but you got spine, man. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So the sticky words is sort of one category of keyword. Are there more in terms of, you know, one approach is to use sticky words or are there kind of other categories of words that are useful? The other keywords would be things that you pick up perhaps from the question itself. And this is how you can craft a response that that really addresses what that person wants to know in addition to the things that you want to bring out. So if the person is asking about qualities, your your qualities. Well, that clearly quality is a key word. Now, how do you take that and turn it into um, something like a memorable response? Um, you can repeat it. Okay. The quality of, hey, and the, and the quality of, and the quality of. So that's one way to do it. Um, other keywords would be sometimes people will just, uh, because, you know, it's not, not scripted, will throw things in, um, uh, you know, maybe a, something about a reference to time that isn't really the, the critical element of the question. And you go ahead and run with that and say, um, well, let's see, I'm trying to think of an example. Maybe uh, the person says, you know, uh, in your last job, uh, you know, something or other, you get really specific about that. There's a timeline going. Make it specific. Last year in my job, I did such and such. Or, you know, just use that vague reference to time to make it really specific. Bring it home. Give them an answer. That's your answer. That's, well, that's your response. That's very time specific because clearly they were kind of like toying with a timeline. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And you've also got some body language tips in terms of not just the words you use, but how you're holding yourself and what are some of your takes on that one? Right. Well, this is mostly what I teach when I go out and I've, I've worked with corporate people, Department of Homeland Security, uh, people in law enforcement, you name it. And there are different types of There are different requirements depending on what your job is and depending on the circumstances. Generally speaking, if you want to bond with someone, you want invitational body language. That means that you you don't have barriers. Part of body language is not just where you place your arms or how you angle your body, but it's also the stuff you have in front of you or a side of you. If you're behind a desk, you have a barrier between you and another person. If you have a wine glass in front of your face while you're talking to somebody, that's a barrier. If you hold your computer or your cell phone 
between you and another person. That's a barrier. In order to get invitational body language, which means there's an openness, there's a, a sense of I trust you, you can trust me. Remove those barriers. I, I actually got a consulting job one time, partly, I'm sure, because the person person asked me to sit down at a small round desk behind a stack of books. And I thought, what is this about? They were, they were like four high. And he said, let's just sit over here. You know, I don't think he was thinking about the fact that there were books between us. And what I did was I just moved them. Mm -hmm. I simply stacked them up so that there was basically a tunnel between us, an open tunnel between us. You could see the demeanor changed like, oh, there's an openness between us now that wasn't there before. Those little things can make all the difference in the world. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, so removing barriers and being sort of welcoming, inviting. Anything else? Right. When you want to bond with somebody, it's natural to mirror that person. We do that in our tone of voice. We do that in the pacing of our voice. Like our conversation, it's a pretty fast conversation. We're mirroring each other because we're both both kind of fast talkers for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we were sitting in the same room, we would be perhaps tilting our heads to kind of match. We might be um, tilting our bodies to match. It's natural for two people to do that. You can see it all the time when people are really connecting on a date. They'll start mirroring each other. Well, you can do that in a very, very subtle way. You can think through it. It should happen naturally. If it doesn't happen naturally, you can do little things that make you connect physically with the other person because you are doing a mirroring, not a mimicking, but a mirroring. A little angling of the body is sometimes all it takes. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. All right. Well, so I want to kind of get your quick take on sort of the other side of things in terms of we talked about responding to questions. And how about when you are asking those questions, how shall you do it optimally? Ask good questions. Good questions generally start with an interrogative. So when... So it's a who, what, when, where, why, how, how come, that kind of thing. The, and, and those questions are not answered with a yes or no. Now, there are times for yes or no questions. That's true. But generally speaking, if you want somebody to start talking and divulging information to you, ask a narrative, uh, Ask use an interrogative so that you can ask what we call a narrative question, something that requires a, a narration in response. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. What else? Well, if you ask a yes or no question, be prepared for a yes or no answer. Um, like, and, and that means that if you don't get it, if, if you ask a yes or no question and you really want a yes or no answer and all of a sudden there's an evasion, you can ask that question again. Make sure that if, if you require a yes or no answer that, that you get it. Um, there, there's an, an, an incident. I was, a, I was part of a press conference recently, and the very first question at the press conference was to the, the person who was on on stage, is so-and-so a liar? Hmm. And I had told the person on the stage, I had coached him, and I said, if you are asked that question, say yes, turn your back, walk walk away, and go to the podium. And, and just leave it. Don't say anything else because it was a really, really important statement. Now, the questioner knew precisely that all he wanted was a yes or no answer. 
the answer the answerer knew that precisely giving only a yes or no answer was the best it was the most powerful thing he could do at that moment so that was an interesting exchange that you know made the evening news related to that press conference so know what your intent is when you're asking questions as well as answering them Hmm. So the yes alone in that situation is more powerful than elaboration just because it's kind of like, that's all there is to say about that. The answer is yes, and I will proceed over here now. (laughs) That's exactly right. And, you know, I wish more politicians would do that because I think that's a vote getter. So go ahead and tell the politicians that they should do that more often. I mean, you can do that for me. Um, Sometimes a, a good, strong yes or no it's an amazing weapon for truth. It's a, it's a sense of, oh my gosh, that person actually, that politician actually gave a yes or no answer to a yes or no question. Holy moly. <laughs> wow, that's power. Well, yeah, and it's sort of refreshing. It's like, all right, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like everyone has to make a statement and this is my statement on this as opposed to, okay, you know, yes or no, cool. Well, tell me, Marianne, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Sure. There is something I want to mention. And again, this is something that is in the book, but I kind of wish we would have explored it more because I'm, I'm paying attention to this more and more. And that is reading between the lines. There is a phenomenon of language. We do language on two different levels. We do it literally, and then we also read between the lines. If I said something politically tinged and you're on the other side of the aisle from me politically, you probably will read between the lines of what I say. Mm-hmm. Even if it sounds like I'm agreeing with you, you're going to kind of, you know, separate the threads and say, wait a minute. I don't think she really means that because I know she doesn't agree with me. That's the kind of thing that's happening all the time today. We are observing this to the point of distraction. When it comes to people who don't agree, supposedly having conversations about key issues, they're each reading between the lines and getting absolutely nowhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. That's an important issue to highlight there. Cool. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? A desire to succeed can strengthen you, but a fear of failure can immobilize you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? That's mine. That's my quote. I wrote that. Oh, it feels good. <laughs> it's my favorite quote. <laughs> I'm quite, is, that, is that like so egotistical you can't put that out there? <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> and how about a, a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I am fascinated by the work of Brene Brown. Do you know her work at all? Oh, yeah. Yes. Her work on vulnerability. Um, that may be some of my favorite research um, and the most valuable in terms of human interaction um, in a possibility for realizing our full humanity, for getting along in the world. Um, I mean, I think in, in a sense, uh, Brene Brown found the answer to world peace. Uh, so I'm going with the Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book is actually a play, and that would be uh, Shakespeare's King Lear. And how about a favorite tool? It's a bunch of tools. It's my Swiss Army knife. My dad gave it to me. Oh, cool. (laughs) And how about a favorite habit? My favorite habit is drinking water. (laughs) 
I, I, I'm a fanatic water drinker. <laughs> it's good for you, you know. And how much water do you drink? Oh, I don't know. Well, I like I put fun things in it to flavor it. I put the stuff called drip drop in it and uh, emergency and all these things to balance my electrolytes. And so I just, I don't know, I drink water all day long, bottles and bottles. Okay. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share in your books and your writing that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? It gets them, you know, retweeting and quoting you back to you? Yeah. Yeah. Assume truth. Don't automatically assume that someone is lying to you. I think that's the worst thing that we can do. We should assume truth. Come with an open mind to everyone. Now, I realize that that you can't sustain that once you realize that someone is not telling you the truth. But truth is a very, very important thing to me. And I have found that assuming that, like, if my first response is, I assume you're telling me the truth, then I'm much better off than in ascertaining who you are, what you're all about, how we can get along how we won't get along. Um, it, but if, if I close my mind to you, if because you're a certain party or a certain color or a certain age or whatever, if I, I close my mind to you in the very beginning, then we get nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Well, they could go to my website. Both of them are being updated at this point. Uh, it's carinch.com and, and uh, rudyagency.com. Rudy Agency is, is all about the literary agency stuff. And carinch.com is all about me personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Be absolutely true to your intent, If your intent is to live a life of fulfillment in your career, be really true to that. Be specific and honest with somebody who's interviewing you for a job. I know there were jobs that I interviewed for that I had no business interviewing for. It's not about the money. It's about whether or not you you belong there as part of that team and whether you even like that team, be, be true to your intent. Go where, where you should go. Look for opportunities where you really want to be. And don't just take some junky thing just because you can do the job. That's work. That's not a life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, Marianne, thanks so much for taking this time and sharing your wisdom. I wish you tons of luck with the book, Control the Conversation and all that you're up to. Well, thank you so much, Pete. It is such a fun thing talking with you. I'd do it anytime. I appreciated Marianne's take on sticky words, and I think it helps to give a little bit of extra thought to. If there's a key point you want to make and you want it to really stick or hit home with folks, see if there are some good synonyms that are a little bit more visceral, a little bit more visualizable. Fire up the thesaurus.com and see if there's a different way to express it, which is going to have all the more impact. And you can do that in just a quick minute or two. So I thought that was pretty handy. Hope you dug that and more from Marianne. Again, the show notes, transcripts, and links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F362. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button here for our next guest, Andy Hill. He's talking from his personal experience, different ways to earn more money from your job, how it's done and how to balance that pursuit with obligations of family and other outside stuff. Hope to catch you there. Peace. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.